When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everybody back to the PHLY Sixers podcast. I nailed the timing on that one. I'm so proud of Derek. Joined for not once again by Kyle Newbeck. Now I'm going to completely blow your mind and remind everyone to hit that subscribe and like button on YouTube oh, wow. if you're watching there. If not, go find us on your podcast player of choice, including on Google Podcasts. It took a little while, but we are in there as well. So wherever you consume your podcasts, hit the subscribe button. You will get our show five days a week. Right to your player. How you doing, Kyle? Oh my goodness, what a what a host over you, here! You give me like a couple of years, I might even be <laughs> decent at this. Who knows? Who knows? I am doing well. Obviously, like everybody else, I was watching the birds yeah. game last night. Pretty dominant performance on both sides. Oh, well, I won't say both sides of all the offense. Red zone, you got to clean it up, all that. But Jalen Carter mania sweeping yeah. the nation right now. Great time all around. DeAndre and, Swift. I will say, in terms of like dominating the line, that was the game that felt the most like last year. There were certainly a lot of imperfections, maybe a miscommunication with Hurts, but like just seeing some of those lanes that Swift had to run through, that felt like last year's Eagles football. Yeah, so I actually had a Sixers question based off the Eagles game to ask you. I was thinking, I was just, you know, they've been a dominate through the trenches team. We're really like franchise for a long time. They, yeah. they invest in... After, offensive after lineman, defensive Chip ignored lineman. the offensive line for a couple of years. They rectified that pretty quickly. They've been dominant. Yeah, so yeah. looking at that and seeing how they won last night, is there a basketball equivalent of building through the trenches where everyone accepts that it's universally good, but when you draft a lineman high – People are like, well, that's fucking boring. Like, why are they doing that? What's hmm. the what's the basketball version of that? That's a good question. I'm not sure if they're... I mean, it might be shooting. I feel like shooters are the non-sexy NBA skill that's really important because everyone wants the slasher. Everybody wants maybe the dynamic big man. Maybe it's just a, a pure off-ball shooter, probably off-ball specifically shooting because, like, if you're a shooter with the ball in your hands, like... Not to beat a subject, but Dame, I think everybody finds that exciting. But someone like J.J. Redick, probably a little less so, whereas I think everybody values that skill, but maybe it's not all that entertaining to watch. But if I'm being honest, like even in terms of like team-building philosophy, it's tougher to have that because you kind of like just take whatever star falls into your lap and then try to build around them, whereas you can't have an ethos like maybe you do with the football and dominating the line of scrimmage and all that but stuff. So I, I think it's... 3 and D guys are the building through the trenches. Of, it's like, oh, yeah. you need to have a lot of those. But if a guy is like not a creator or not a... Yeah, and I also feel like that. And, and uh, shout out to my old colleague, Mike O'Connor, who's really been pushing this. Like, I think a lot of times we miss on those guys because they're not really all that great three-point shooters and yeah. probably are overrated that defense a lot of times anyway. And we kind of reach for that kind of archetype. Uh, where maybe it's it's not really there. I feel like a lot of misses come from that. Three and D, a lot of times the NBA means they're not skilled enough to put the ball in your hands, and they're not really a shutdown guy. Otherwise, we'd call them a shutdown guy. Yeah, so just want to say shout-out to Gavin, shout-out to Zachary, Jacob. Got a few of you guys sounding off in the comments already. Gavin and Zachary apparently risking getting caught in their classes while they're watching the stream, so... I always appreciate the support, but, you know, make sure you're also at least semi taking notes. But going going <laughs> off of what Gavin said yesterday, that would at least be college. So, like, you know, it's your choice to be in college. That's you true. Know. Yeah. You know. Pay attention, but, like, you know, listen to. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, do we want to get into, you know, the actual things we sort of prepared to talk about sure. today? Or? Sure. Um, where do you want to start? Do you want to start off with uh, with Embiid and, and France and the Olympics? Yeah, are we allowed to answer the question at the bottom of the comments there? Or is that like a, our lawyers are know. contacting us and saying? 
probably just play this one safe, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's just, so sorry, Jessica. I see your question, but we'll uh, shoot a, sh- shoot one of us a DM. My DMs yeah, are maybe open. Maybe an email. There, yeah. Then that yeah. can be or somewhere that there's no text trace. Of I, have, I have a very strict don't get sued <laughs> policy, so I'm you know staying out of this one. I'm gonna stay out, but. It'll happen is what my answer to your question will be, Jessica. Sorry for the vagueness yeah. on the audio feed, whoever hears this later. Anyway, let's Joel Embiid in the Olympics, I think is I don't I will say this. I'm not a big Olympics guy in general. I like to watch the big track events and the the swimming, like when Michael Phelps was winning every medal essentially and it was a big cultural event i got super into it but bog standard olympic event i just don't care about don't watch basketball being a noteworthy exception because you know that's our line of work and so i'm paying attention to all this stuff and there is a level of intrigue for me just what joel Embiid is going to do next summer right or i guess it's it's not necessarily next summer. It's in the buildup. He's going to make a decision. And the catalyst for this was that, uh, I don't want to call him Team France. I don't know. I guess it's Le Bleu is what they call themselves. I know that's what the, the soccer team calls themselves. They have imposed a deadline on Joel that if he wants to play for France right. in the Olympics, he has to let them know by, I want to say it's October 10th. 10th? Yep. Yeah. So within the next couple of weeks or so, and essentially, he's got three options on the table. He can play for his home country of Cameroon. He can play for France, where I believe is he naturalized there. He does he have has, citizenship. Yeah, he has citizenship yeah. there, and he's also able to play for Team USA. So let's start with this, Derek. I I weighed in on this on one of our first shows, but we can obviously revisit it. Do you think it's a net positive for him to play in the Olympics in general. I do. And I think probably a couple of years ago, I would have said, I don't know, but I think he certainly is a kind of athlete who the more he plays and the more consistently he plays, the better shape he stays in. Like it's easier for him to get out of shape than it is for him to stay in shape. So I think playing basketball isn't going to hurt. I think it's something that if he wants to do it, you certainly don't get in the way of him doing it. I think it's a good experience for him. And I do think it's, you know, especially if you're playing like for Team USA, the chance to build relationships that could end up coming into play down the line when you're trying to recruit someone. Uh, you know, maybe if, if Dame felt a little stronger about Embiid, maybe that would make that um, list grow to two, for example. I think that could be beneficial. It's certainly not without risk, but I mean, you can't, um, you just can't tell a basketball player not to play basketball. Like, what he's doing out in, you know, with, with Drew Hanlon, like you could get injured there too, theoretically. You could get injured doing pretty much anything. It's a higher risk playing for Team USA or playing for the Olympics, but I would embrace it at this stage. And again, I think a couple of years ago when maybe you thought a little more off-season rest was beneficial for Embiid, I might have had a different answer. But right now I would say, yeah, probably. So as I've stated many times already on this podcast, I'm a soccer guy and – there's always a big debate in soccer because they have a lot of what they call international breaks spread throughout their season for clubs. So they will actually go from the season is essentially on pause for two weeks, three weeks at a time, and they go and play with their national teams. And there are certain coaches who are notorious for they just get guys hurt. They'll play them too many minutes when they could be or should be perhaps resting. And so there's – There are some people who are like, I don't want my guys at my club, so it would be the Sixers in this instance, playing internationally ever. But I do think this is different in that all international stuff for basketball players is when they either wouldn't be playing at all or they're just playing pickup and different things in the summer. It's just an additive thing. It's not we're trying to cram more within a crowded schedule. And so my opinion has always been for some of the reasons you listed, I think it's always good for these guys to play internationally. I think saw it with the formation of the, the heatles that that basically all came together through team USA, LeBron and Bosch and Wade. Are we going to get Embiid on a banana boat? Is that a thing that could happen? I I mean, I don't know if he would fit on a (laughs) banana boat. So that's kind of the problem there. But I, I think you plant the seeds there and these guys get to know each other and, 
you know, one thing you could say, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a, a knock against Joel, but he has not exactly been a free agent magnet. Guys have not historically lined up to play in Philadelphia in general, but certainly have not seen, oh, hey, there's an MVP candidate here. I'm a star. I want to go play with him. They're not forcing their way here. He's not that type of guy. I mean, it, Harden sort of was, but I think that had as much to do with Daryl. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would say that that's in the, the Joe credit box, I guess. And so if you put him in more of these environments where he is around high-level guys right. and they get to know him more, and look, if we look at how other fan bases perceive Joel, that he's a troll, he's a foul magnet, all this stuff – I would guarantee you there are a lot of players who don't like Joel for all that and don't know him as well, maybe personally. Right. Where, look, he's, I think you and I would both agree, he's a, a good, agreeable guy, like someone who makes people laugh and is a will go to bat for you, all that good stuff, but they yeah. don't see that on a day-to-day basis. I think if he ends up playing for, you know, probably specifically Team USA or France that are – have bigger pools of you know good NBA players that could end up making a difference down the line. I mean, even like you and I, the fact that we knew each other beforehand made doing this and as, much, sure. as much as it might seem like we all we do is get under each other's skin. <laughs> a lot of that is troll. Not all of it. Every now and then he does really piss me off. But most of that is trolling. And the fact that we know each other so well over the years is why we're comfortable trolling each other. Uh, so Joel Embiid forming that relationship certainly would help, um, you know, recruit for sure. I agree 100 percent. And there was, you know, obviously we've been talking a lot about France because they set that October 10th deadline. Who knows whether or not that is actually a a hard deadline or they're trying to put a little pressure for him to make a decision, uh, sort of like the Dame situation and what's going on with Portland and a lot of these leaks. But earlier this summer, Grant Hill, who is a part of Team USA, I forget his exact role, but said there is definitely still a possibility that Embiid will play for Team USA and that he has had conversations with him. So that seems like a, a certainly a possibility. Cameroon seems like a very far outside chance, but like you said, I think we would both kind of like to see him do that, even if it would be nice to see him play for Team USA, um, but playing for the hometown would be nice as well. But, you know, we'll see. He's been very noncommittal about the whole thing, though. Yeah, there's a question from Jacob Manning. What if it's Embiid that's being recruited and not the other way around? I think that's completely fair because at this point, we've discussed it all summer, or all off-season, I should say, now that it's cold and dreary outside. I think that's everyone has to be prepared for the idea that Joel could be walking out the door in the next couple of years. So a banana boat in Miami. Yeah. So, you know, ideally the Sixers are going to do everything they can to prevent that from happening, whether it's making trades, trying to foster the development of somebody like Tyrese Maxey, putting a, a really good team around Joel so that he doesn't have a wandering eye. I don't think the difference between Joel leaving is going to be, oh, he played on Team USA and this guy pitched him on something. I think if maybe that's the difference between Joel when he wants to leave, prefers going to the Bulls rather than the Knicks or wherever he might end up. But uh, wanting to play with another guy, I don't think will be what forces Joel out if if and when that yeah. happens. No, if you want if pre- or when that if happens, you want to prevent say. Joel Embiid from leaving, don't prevent him from playing the Olympics. Put a good freaking team around him. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Um, yeah. So, do you have any any comments on the boxing match, the hypothetical boxing ma- boxing match, Kevin? Wants the, to, how not many rounds does a Derek versus Kyle boxing match go? Zero. And who wins? I don't. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a fighter. I've never actually. I'm not a like, fighter have, either, have but I, if Derek's putting his hands down, I'll sucker punch him. So you know, <laughs> you got to do whatever. Just like Al Davis used to say, "Just win, baby." So I'll take my free W if that's yeah. what it takes. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't I've, sucker punch you. I've been sucker punched before, if you can believe that. Oh sure, I can absolutely believe that. <laughs> End up in the wrong situation and with I the wrong person. I will say it has not or? happened once in the two weeks that we've been working together. No, just to be clear. That's, no, yeah, yeah. I, no workplace violence. That's uh, <laughs> that's very important. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll get back to that in a little bit. DraftKings going to be back with another week of football. Back with the three and O birds and DraftKings Sportsbook, keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5, get $200 instantly in bonus bets, throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups, walk away an instant winner. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. 
And football is more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now. Sign up with code PHLY. New customers can bet just $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PHLY. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget Ch- Lake Charles in Louisiana, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsibility gaming resources bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply so i guess we kind of left the question of who he should play for or maybe who he will play for open a bit it seems to me that cameroon is essentially i won't say completely out but i don't i don't see that with all the smoke that has been building around Maybe he'll play for France. Maybe he'll play for USA. They've been an afterthought. And quite frankly, where we stand today, do we even know if they're qualified or are going to qualify for the Olympics? Like that would be something that maybe we should have prepared for <laughs> prior to the show. Overrated. But, today, the, but I, that's not a thing that he has to worry about with the other two. It's just I walk into the program yeah, and yeah, I yeah. kind of. I know they're not out. I know they're yeah. not disqualified. I don't know if there's anything else they need to do in order to qualify. Um, yeah. But I know there's still a chance. Yeah, so I, I think that it's a difference between you have to come in and do maybe some actual heavy lifting. Yeah. And, oh, I'm going to be part of a good team. And Team USA's example, I think a great team based on who's going to, who's committing to play after their, you know, failure in the World Cup. It looks like the, the Avengers are assembling and it's going to be maybe LeBron's last ride and KD and a bunch of these other guys. So I, if he wants to win a gold medal, he should come to death row and play for <laughs> Team USA. But uh, France is putting some pressure on him, so I, it seems like we're going to know fairly soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at the very least, we'll know he won't be playing for France fairly, fairly soon. Yeah, that's true. Any, uh, any Josh Harris thoughts? There was a, a big piece by Ramona Shelburne on ESPN about his ownership of the commanders. That is true. There was a, I was actually, you know, this is no shade at Ramona. I didn't realize she was covering NFL ownership beat now, but clearly got some good access with Josh. Uh, broad strokes. It was just talking up his investment in all these sports teams that made him a lot of money and, it is still like it. It's weirder and weirder with each passing day that the owner of the Sixers owns the Commanders. I yes. think I understand it in my head. Like I know he's from Chevy Chase, Maryland, and he grew up a fan of Washington and all that stuff. It's still just bizarre. Well, especially because like, people in Philadelphia. Yeah, I won't say all root for all the teams here, but ninety percent of sports fans. Sure share all the same teams yep. in this city. And you're either four tr- for four or you're a Cowboys fan. I don't know why it's that dynamic, but it, it's that dynamic. And it's just so, like, to own the Devils and the Sixers yeah. and the Commanders at the same time. Like, the Devils just beat the Flyers. What was it? 6-1, six, 6-0 six, last night? And it's just like, <laughs> how do you spin that to people here i don't get you don't you don't and you don't even try and you don't even really push back on it like they're going to hate you for that and owning your hometown commanders just has to be worth it to them yeah oh i so this was and it very much feels like the old ed snyder dynamic dynamic we talked about the other day where like he has a favorite team and then he has the sixers here's a fun question do you think josh harris will make an appearance at the game on well that's what really killing me right now like he's speaking every (laughs) chance he gets including to espn including on the monday night football broadcast every chance he gets he's behind a microphone when was the last time we spoke to josh harris like it's been a little while he he used to do you know media availability every year sometimes twice a year before and after the season outside of when they hire a new coach or gm like he doesn't he doesn't do that anymore here so I would also say this, him, Josh being so upfront with the commanders, 
there is this belief among some people in the fan base or some pushback that he's gotten so far saying, well, he's just simply going to care less and they're going to get less resources, the Sixers, I mean, because he's done this. And the team, every time that comes up, is like, that's not true. That's not true. Josh is fully committed to winning, blah, blah, blah. But when you see it's like, oh, this is the shiny new toy and he's right. out front giving interviews, shaking hands, doing photo ops. I mean, he's consulting with all kinds of people we need to replace the speakers in the stadium and we need to do this and then it's like this ongoing stadium whatever is happening in center city that who the hell knows is going to happen with that and that's hanging in the balance there's only so much energy and brain power you have to commit right yeah i understand that he's transitioned to spending more of his time, money, et cetera, on sports franchises in general. Right. But these are really serious jobs and responsibilities that I can understand why fans are worried about him being stretched thin, I would say. Well, financially, I think. Especially when you watch him blow a handshake on national <laughs> TV. <laughs> Not the greatest moment in the world. Um, financially, I think he's fine. And I think he'll st- – yeah. and really all – if I was a Sixers fan, all I'd want Josh Harris to do, hire the right GM – Give him the resources and money and get the F out of the way. And I think he still has enough time to do that. I do think he will continue to give the Sixers, Sixers, why did I say Sixers? Sixers, that's a new one. (laughs) Sixers, look, it's early, man. Give the Sixers resources. I don't think he's going to go cheap on them, in part because it's still a very valuable commodity in his portfolio. So maybe it's a good thing if he just stays away. Like that whole era where they had too many owners mixed in in decision making they had an uncertain structure in terms of management maybe now it's just clearer and that's a good thing as long as he continues to invest the resources which i think he will randy actually commented and said josh harris went out for smokes he'll be back for the camera if we oh, make it past the that's second true. round that's true yeah, I, he's making a milk run. Like dad, dad left to go get milk, and he's been gone for 15 years. He's gonna be back anytime with uh, after going to 7-Eleven. Right. Uh, there's actually a very funny Michael Rubin anecdote in this story by Ramona, where Rubin, according to the story, was brought into the ownership group essentially by David Stern, and Michael Rubin says that this was the conversation. David Cern says to him, I thought about this. You need to go in and be a real partner. I said, why? And David Cern said, because if anything goes wrong, you work for fucking me and I can control you. And so you're fucking doing this because I need someone in that group I can control. And if ever there was an anecdote that showed the difference between David Stern and Adam Silver, that is it. And I think that's... Within that anecdote right there, you can see why I think player empowerment has kind of gone the way it has under Adam Silver after David Stern was Mr. (laughs) Fire and Brimstone at all times saying, this is my league and it's going to be run the way I want it to. And, you know, there are certainly some downsides with that. And Adam has his strengths as well as his weaknesses, but... Oh, Adam, Adam Silver was a little hands-on at various points of the process as well. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a, a funny piece of the Ramona story. But, look, end of the day, as you say, if Josh Harris is spending the proper amount of money on the Sixers, that's what matters. But we're not going to really know that for quite a while. Were you there? Eugene brought this up in chat. Were you there when, like, Will Smith would just show up randomly every now and then and come, like, into the, the press area and... Dude, every year yeah. for like five straight years in my preseason predictions column, I said Will Smith is going to be a bell ringer this year. <laughs> he's never done it. And he's never done yeah. it. And it drives me absolutely insane. Like the guy is, owns whatever percent of the team and never shows up anymore. I figured, I thought after the, the Oscar slap, I thought that was a guarantee. Like, come Will, up and slap Will's the bell. Gotta, no, Will's got to do the the PR rehab tour. Uh, he needs yeah. to get back there and be in front of the people. Like, hey, Mia culpa. I shouldn't have gone up on stage and slapped somebody. Although I will say, not to go completely on a Will Smith tangent here, what an overreaction to that whole moment. Like, that was the only thing people talked about for like yeah. two weeks. It's like, yeah, he shouldn't have gone on stage and slapped somebody, but also like. 
we don't have to be like, but what, think about the children yeah. because two yeah. grown men had a dispute that yeah. they, I would say, solved with air quotes fairly quickly. Yeah. Violence isn't the answer, but sometimes it is. It's also a part of the world. It happens. Like your kid's not going to be scarred for life, especially when you're talking about a bunch of actors whose entire career is making violent movies. Like you know, well, and having big egos. It. It's like you know, yeah. it's the guys talking about his wife. He got mad, and they handled it. And Chris Rock, unfortunately, was on the business end of his right hand. So what are you going to do? Ash, yes, I was at that presser. As we mentioned yesterday, I started covering basketball in 2009. So, yeah, I, I, was, I was at that presser. Uh, I'm old. It's, it's known. It is known. Uh, yeah, any other real thoughts on, on Harry? Look, I don't, like I said, I understand why everyone gets annoyed with him owning rival sports teams. And it really has to, like, the only reason that Philly isn't completely losing their minds is because nobody actually cares about the commanders in a long, or has cared in a long time. And because the Flyers are so irrelevant that, like, they don't really have rivals at that point, at this point. But I get the frustration. I don't think it material changes him because I don't think you want him as involved as maybe he or that whole group. You know, when we talk about the ownership group, like, there were other people within that group who were very involved during the transition from Colangelo to Mori that now aren't as involved you hope all that whole collective group takes a step back and they have the leadership structure in place where you don't need Josh Harris to do more than, you know, sign the checks and evaluate Daryl Morey. That's what you need from him right now and argue for a new arena. Yeah, and if, if I'm trying to get into Josh Harris's brain, if him and the people he works with think of things as investments first and, you know, passion projects second, you're always more hands-on and out front of an investment in the early yep. stages when you need to either gut the organization, make changes, make tweaks, make investments. And so he's gone through that initial period of, all right, we turned a lot of things over. There are systems in place. If you look at it, if we were to say, like when Doc Rivers came in, he said, we have to is an exaggeration to an extent, but he essentially made the case like, look, we have to put systems in place as a coaching staff so that he used the word culture, but I will say it's just things need to happen without the coaching staff being involved. So the low minute games and like right. that being a part of their everyday structure. And if you, I don't know what the low minute game of ownership or management is, but that's essentially what happens when, Josh buys the Sixers or Josh buys the commanders in this example. He has to, him and his team and his partners come in, they do all that. And yes, the, the public appearances are annoying right now, I'm sure, because everyone who roots for the Sixers just sees, well, you oversee a team that has failed on the big stage over and over again. And now your attention and your you know, public PR, everything else is all invested in the commanders. Now, I don't think that's actually the case, but that's the message that you're sending. And I think that's going to create, as it already has, plenty of frustration. Every time I see Josh do an interview and it's on Twitter, there are about 15 quote tweets on my timeline, like get this guy the hell out of Philadelphia. So yeah. it's if he's willing to deal with that and continue investing in the Sixers, then good on him, I guess. You mentioned a low minutes group. Do you think there's like a Harris and Blitzer versus like... Adelman, like, is there a, a two-on-two -two game going on right now? Is there a low minutes? Well, so do we game? have to? I know we got a two-on-two -two question the other day. Do we have to play Harrison Blitzer? <laughs> and uh, we will definitely have the size advantage in that game. And I'll youth, say that. I will say, I make a lot of fun about me being old, but compared to them, like I'm, you know, spring chicken over here. I will say this though. I think Josh Harris. I have probably have a more sedentary lifestyle than him. <laughs> he's he's working like insane hours yeah. around the clock. So. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I have a big physical advantage other than just being taller at yeah. this point. Yeah. Anyway, constructing two-on-two -two games with Josh Harris, that's how you know we're deep in the offseason and, yeah. and desperate for training Well, it's camp almost right like now. the conversation we had the other day about Zach Lowe's idea <laughs> where you have one, you know, the primary owner, the primary coach, and one player uh, have a, um, you know, a, a tournament. Sixers, I don't think, would fare all that great. I don't think so. All right, let's, we're going to talk about Maxi fairly soon. But before that, I want to tell you guys about our friends at game time. You know, soon we're going to be able to talk about actual Sixers games that you guys can buy tickets to, 
what a concept. I know it feels like it's been three years since they lost to Boston in Game 7. Sorry for having to bring that up. But assuming you're back on board and assuming you still want to watch Sixers games this year, you can use the Game Time app to easily get tickets at the last minute. Great prices. They're easy to find. Everything about the Game Time app is seamless and makes the ticket buying experience as painless as it can possibly be. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy. You know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can get the tickets in a matter of seconds. It's two taps. Ticket is yours. Get sent directly to your phone. Never have to dig through your email. So you can snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right. So, one of the questions we got uh, in the last podcast was basically comparisons for Tyrese Maxey and how he could grow as a playmaker and you know, players who in the past had sort of assumed that larger role and succeeded. And I got to admit, it was a little tougher than I expected. It was a little tough. Well, it's the problem is to make ceiling comps, they're not really a lot of guys who are historically on the trajectory that people want him to be on, right? Like there are plenty of guys who came into the league as great score first small guards and stayed that way and got better over time but never really changed the question that a lot of people have had for us and for Tyrese is can he continue to be that you know great scorer great shooter all that stuff while also adding playmaking to his game and and being a I don't want to put an exact number on it but maybe in the six to seven assists per game territory and I mean if you just go through NBA history there are just not a lot of guys that make a a leap from where he started to where he probably needs to go in order to be the lead ball handler on a championship type team so Derek went and he was really combing through (laughs) basketball reference and all kinds of stats comparisons and I'm curious to see what he came up with well, I think when I first started thinking about it, like your mind goes to some of these smaller combo guards, people like Jason Terry, Lou Williams, but they were sort of a little more established as distributors early on, or at least shot creators. And then I think the two I kind of settled on, the one that's always sort of been on my mind was Kyle Lowry, in part because of the Villanova team he played on, uh, you know, with Randy Foy and Alan Ray, like they shared ball handling responsibilities a lot. Eventually he grew up into a, you know, pretty good NBA point guard, a really good NBA point guard, actually. But I think he always kind of showed a little more playmaking than he was given responsibility for. So I don't think that jump was necessarily completely shocking. It's just his role changed so dramatically. I think the one that I eventually landed on was Chauncey Billups. And again, part of this was role dependent, right? Because he came into the league, high draft pick, uh, flamed out in Boston, traded to Denver. Denver had Nick Van Exel, so they already had a pretty good point guard. And eventually he grew into, you know, having a larger role. But I really thought, like, he went from a guy who was averaging, like, six assists per 100 to a guy who eventually averaged, like, 13 per 100 possessions. And Tyrese Maxey has always kind of been right around that six per 100 possession mark. So I think he was the one who really looked at, and look, I wasn't, I mean, I was following the NBA in the late 90s, early 2000s when he came in the league, but I don't know if I necessarily remember exactly whether he showed the playmaking potential that he eventually developed into, but I think he was the closest comp that I came to in terms of a guy who just really grew into a lead guard. Yeah, and the reason it's so tough is that, I mean, we go back to guys that you and I watched growing up, and it's like the league is so different from when Chauncey was coming into the league in the late 90s, like, I don't know how you can draw, like, what would Chauncey be today? I think Chauncey Billups, if he's drafted today, comes in and it's like, that guy's a clear one that we're going to give time to try to work on the playmaking side of things and, and work through his mistakes. Now, Tyrese was brought into a situation where, and actually came from Kentucky, where I think they discovered there 
hey, let's give quickly the ball more and Tyrese can focus on more of the scoring stuff. And then he joins a team with Ben Simmons and it's okay, well, Ben needs to have the ball in his hands. So Tyrese has to figure out ways to succeed without the ball in his hands and, and doing all the off ball shooting, spacing, that kind of deal. And now we land at a place where after James Harden has gone through his F Daryl Morey campaign, it's like, okay, we're back where maybe Tyrese was in high school, I guess. Yeah. Like that would have been the last time that Tyrese would have been the undisputed. He's the guy in the backcourt full time time. Like I, it, there's really been no time since that he's had this opportunity. I mean, even when Ben decided to sit out, Seth Curry is effectively running the offense a, a decent amount of the time. So he wasn't getting full-time one reps, but I think it's a great opportunity for him. I don't know if he can be Chauncey Billups in the growth chart. Like the guy I used to compare him to before he became a 40% shooter on volume from three was Tony Parker, because I think, you know, those, those floaters that he lived on, the, finishing under the rim despite being kind of undersized and and maybe not being you know Tony was never he wasn't like a double digit assist guy he's more in the six to seven per game and that's just not how San Antonio functioned and I think speed was also a huge part of his game I know there was somebody throughout recently Ty Lawson in terms of weaponizing his speed and playing in transition I don't know that there's really a, a great comparison because, frankly, most guys don't come into the league and go from I barely shoot the ball to I'm a six threes a game at 40-plus yep. percent per game. That just doesn't really happen. So it's hard to say, well, he's going to be this because even his first couple of years, he has far exceeded whatever we thought he was going to be able to become just based on that. Yeah, and we've got we've got some people. I think it's Rick in the chat uh, throwing out a Demar Derozan comp, and Derozan came in the league, and for the first, basically for his entire rookie contract, he was a terrible passer, like complete black hole. Didn't really attempt to pass. Had no creativity. He's a solid passer now. He's average for his position, maybe above average. He's at least good enough where it's not killing you. Can we give Tyrese Demar's size and athleticism? It helps when he can see over the defense like that. Absolutely. But also, like, I don't think we're necessarily talking about a guy who can grow into being a five or six per game guy. You're hoping for a little bit more so that you don't always feel the need to put another point. Like, DeMar DeRozan's never been the point guard. He's never been the primary initiator. You're hoping, um, or at least a, a primary setup man, you're hoping Tyrese can grow into that. Again, if Tyrese was six, seven and a, you know, wing, we wouldn't feel this kind of pressure to be like, all right, we really need him to show plus level playmaking. Um, but DeMar's, you can certainly go through NBA history and find players who developed their passing significantly. And DeMar's a very good example of that. Um, but in terms of growing into being a lead playmaker, a lead decision maker, you know, a guy who you're going to have bring the ball up and initiate from, you know, pick and rolls and, and dissect the defense, it's a little tougher. Um, Chauncey was the one I sort of arrived at. I do think when he was at Colorado, he showed a little more playmaking than maybe Maxie did at Kentucky. But he certainly got better. Well, and if you want to try to bring wings into the conversation, you could then go to someone like a Paul George, who he yeah. comes into the league and frankly could barely dribble. And he became a, a very good ball handler and good secondary playmaker. I think at this point, he's like a six assists per game guy for the Clippers. Well, let's see, 5.7 in 21-22, limited sample there because he was hurt. 5.1 last year per game so you know better playmaker now but again when you're a wing and you have the size to see over the defense there are limitations you don't have to deal with that Tyrese has to be able to overcome and so that's the challenge is like he essentially is can could Lou Williams become you know a seven assists per game guy Derek and I talked about Lou prior to the show and look, I think Lou showed over time as a you know bench captain type guy, he can be a competent playmaker mm-hmm. and he can have some partnerships with somebody like a, a Montrez Harrell where they can be a bench offense by themselves. Now the question is, can that be valuable enough to drive an offense with him as the number one guy? Probably not. They need, if he's going to be more than 
six man of the year type guy, which is what Lou was, Tyrese has to take further steps than, than he was able to. Yeah. And we've got another, uh, someone in the chat bringing up CJ McCollum. Again, That's CJ, our guy Legs. CJ, oh, my, my apologies. What's up, Legs? Legs? Thank you for all your hard work during Burnergate. Um, <laughs> he's certainly a guy who's gotten a lot better. Probably not where I want him to be, considering how much he dominates the ball, but he's gotten better. A lot of that jump happened when he was 27, 28, 29. You need Tyrese to it's sort of figure off, that out yeah. earlier on in his timeline because of where Joel is at and where are you at team building. Like I said, a lot of the reason I'm so focused on this now is because it makes next summer, and if you look at you know free agency next summer when they can have max cap space as their one real way to make a, a meaningful splash to you know sort of figure out the rest of this title-contending core – that becomes so much easier if you fully bought buy into Tyrese Maxey as a lead guard. Um, so you sort of need him to be on a different time frame, and that's that's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. And I will uh, what I will say in his favor is that the NBA environment is set up better for Tyrese to make this sort of leap than I mean all these guys that we're naming, like even Paul George, he's coming into the league 2010, right? So. The league had not quite yet transitioned to the spread it out five. Like, it was still novel at the time. You're just coming off of Orlando's run to the finals a couple years before that where they were the first team that said, we're going to play four out, one in, right? Or the first the team that sort of pushed the league further in that direction after the seven seconds or less Suns. And then, obviously, the Warriors come in and, well, the Heatles – and the Warriors start really pushing the boundaries of what you can do as an NBA offense. Yeah. And so we're now at a point where teams sort of get these are the principles of offense that are going to help everybody give our best player space in the middle of the floor. And so I think that base level helps Tyrese. There are going to be better angles for him. The spacing will be better. And even if he's not creating constant threes and hitting skip passes – I think one of the things he's improved on from his rookie year on top of the shooting is getting all the way to the rim and, and not settling for as many floaters, no. runners. Now, his finishing there needs to be better, but just the act of getting there and getting by his defender, even if he's not the one scoring, he's going to hit a lot more of those drop-off passes to Joel, Paul Reed, whoever, Mo Bamba, whoever might be playing as the, the nominal center in the game. And th that'll create a lot of playmaking opportunities for him if he's able to consistently get by guys. Yeah. Another commenter in the chat bringing up James Harden. Um, you know, J he had such a unique role early on in his career. Yeah. That's hard to make that comparison. He wasn't a huge playmaking guy at Arizona State, but I remember going back scouting him. I think everyone sort of saw that he could grow into that role a lot more than he was there, that he had the vision. It was just sort of like capitalizing on that. I'm not sure I necessarily see the same with Tyrese, but he definitely, in terms of a player who changed roles and succeeded at it, James Harden is, is maybe the best current example of that. And, and reinforcing what I was saying with regards to DeMar and Paul George, Harden is big. Like he Harden's is big, a yeah. big dude. Like he's not a wing size guy, but he's a very big guard. And so he's got a natural, oh, I can see his vision was always very yep. good it was you know passing numbers or assist numbers might not have been there and now he's grown into you know one of the great playmakers in the game obviously but that it's oversimplifying it to an extent but being able to see over the defense and having an extra you know four inches of you know real estate up there it makes a big, big difference. No, especially for somebody like Harden or like you want Tyrese Max to be where a lot of the rotations you're forcing are because of your dribble drive game. Being able to see those skip passes to the corner, it's just that's where the help tends to come from. It's a lot easier to make that. Um, Roy does not like that I called them the Heatles. That is just the shorthand it's, for them. It's, it's not the like easiest. you came up with it. No, that's yeah. not my nickname, certainly. We have a happy to see you two dopes back together from legs, our guy Legs. Yep. It's good to see you with us david so. i'm not i'm not happy to see legs because he kicked my ass in fantasy basketball a couple years back oh boy still better fantasy still basketball better. is way too involved i had to get out of the league man. i had to, I, the, I can't that do league it. was way too much it was with john gonzalez um way too much you have, you have people like legs out here devoting way too much time to it listen good, any, good job legs but like i have quit fantasy sports altogether football once it went to thursday night football and i had to pay attention more than 
like a single day per week, I was out. Basketball is worse than that. Baseball is a second job. Playing yeah. fantasy baseball is absolute torture. I don't know how anyone does it. Now, I don't baseline. I'm not a big baseball guy in general, so that's uh, that's part of it. But I don't know how people do it. And this was a, this was a, a keeper league where you would keep players in the next year. You could trade future draft picks. You could trade cap space. Like it no was way. John Gonzalez is a maniac. Uh, this was a very involved NBA fantasy league that I just I had to get out. It was too much time. Too much time. All right, hey. Will, come on, man. Be nice to legs. We got some sniping back and forth. Positive vibes only. I thought yesterday I had set a pretty clear standard. We gotta we gotta bring back some positive vibes here. Right. But welcome, Will, to the chat who the other day there we had a battle between two L Will and one L Will. And that was a battle I agree for with, the ages. I agree with RC. Fantasy baseball is the worst. It's, it's just it feels like just tedious, busy work. I can't. Oh, I can't. well, look, now Will's saying fantasy baseball is great. He's just trying to cause trouble at this yeah. point. I don't know. I don't, contrarian for contrarian. I don't know, Will. We might have to have a chat after the show. This is uh, it's getting to be a little bit much. All right. If you have any questions, drop them in the chat. We might get to a couple in the last segment. Before that, a quick word from FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's, a bit, it's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. And with us now squarely in football and tailgating season, it means it's time for overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for a game. And FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use the promo code PHLY for 10% off. Um, so yeah, I guess just sort of wrapping up that segment... I think we all believe in Tyrese Maxey and the growth that he's made as a shooter and as a scorer, believe in the kid and his work ethic. And, you know, if there is someone who's going to make a, another leap that you probably shouldn't realistically expect, it probably would be Tyrese. It's This is a, a very important one. We've been talking about it pretty much from day one of our show. It was on my initial column at allphly.com. It's important. It's tough. We'll see. We'll see. And that's one of the things that, tough. like, if he can... It's not that. That's not tough at all. <laughs> it's one of those things where if he can make that leap, it will completely change the complexion and the future and the, the spirit about this team and the way that they build going forward. And it's one of the things where if James Harden isn't going to play, then it's one of the things we can evaluate a little more earnestly. You know what I want to evaluate? The Sixers jerseys that oh, yeah, Terquavion yeah. Smith leaked, kind of unknowingly Oops. leaked yesterday. I don't know if anyone has seen them pop up on Twitter, Instagram, what have you. They had an absolutely absurd amount of drop shadow behind the letters, yes. which I, I was saying to Derek before the show, I'm a big Nike guy, like wear a lot of Nike sneakers, hoodies, things of that nature. I have narrow feet, so their shoes actually fit me better than Adidas and some of the other big brands. Not that I would turn down Adidas sneakers either. But Nike's problem with jerseys is that they make new ones every single year. And so they it essentially puts them in a spot where, oh, we have to do something. There has right. to be something changed. And so <laughs> the amount of red that is now underneath the, what is it, the P-H-I-L-A in the jersey, it's like a bad, it looks like, I didn't put on 3D glasses for a, a <laughs> yeah. 3D movie and it's distorted. Like that's what it comes up as to me. So I'm hoping that whatever city edition they do is better than that. Although I guess we have no word on that as of right now. It does feel like something like whenever you're not a graphic designer and you try to design something, you just go, all right, let me throw a little drop shadow in there, make it interesting and 3D. And no, I agree with you. It's got too much. Um, I don't necessarily think that was something that needed to be changed. I'm a traditionalist in terms of jerseys. I think teams like the Celtics or the Lakers who never change their jerseys, I think that's the best way to go, especially for a franchise like the Sixers that has a history that they do. I understand that makes me an old person and a get-off-my-lawn person, but that's always the way I felt about these Sixers jerseys. That's why you have the City Edition jerseys, so you can get experimental and change stuff and get your you know merch sale every year. Um, I don't like significant changes and i think the drop shadow is too much yeah and randy brought up the spectrum jerseys i personally was shocked that they didn't just do the 
the reception to the Spectrum jerseys was overwhelmingly positive, right? Yep. And maybe they still decide to do this. I was shocked they didn't just say, we're going to do a white version of the yeah. Spectrum jersey. Like, yep. you did the the dark blue. It was different. You could just make that jersey in a white jersey, and that's the easiest. That'll sell a ton right. of versions or copies that you could ask for. I think that's the... The low hanging fruit, although the lowest hanging fruit, even though you and I historically have been dissenters, is to just bring the black jerseys yeah, back. Yeah, those from the would Iverson sell out era. immediately. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, we bad had a, oh my God, Boathouse were the worst. Yeah, that was that was not a popular. I will say, I think for the city edition jerseys, they've been mostly good. You know, I don't think there's been that many misses. Yeah, the Boathouse. The Boathouse is a very yeah, a and it was a miss. I mean, the jersey wasn't great on its own. I, the bigger problem was that they did a ton of teasing and they teased that a black jersey was coming back and all the fans like, oh, yeah, Iverson jerseys. And then they show it and it was like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah. That was never going to land. Nope. I do wonder if one day they will bring those back, though. Because there was a, a, a significant person who objected to them and he's no longer, he's with, no the longer with the team. So who knows? Who knows? All of you people with bad fashion sense, you might get your wish someday. Uh, okay, that's we're going a little too far. I <laughs> let's. I'm not going to spoil anything. I have been advocating for some form of merch <laughs> themed around those specific jerseys. So maybe you guys will I see mean, look, that. A lot it. of people have a lot of great memories with them, and I think because of that, they're significant to a lot of people. And I get that. I get that. I just think they're a little overstated. But we've had our piece about that. Uh, well, to your point about like Celtics Lakers, I hate so many of these teams should just never change their jersey. Yeah, Sam brings up New Philadelphia. That was such a yeah. It was also part of the way they tried to, to sell yeah. it too. That didn't help. That was terrible. Oh, oh, Alex also pointing out that Ben helped design the Boathouse jerseys. Really, like adding to Ben's terrible legacy in the last couple years in Philadelphia. Just terrible jerseys. Didn't dunk. Pass it off to Matisse, threw a fit on his way out, just, you know, adding insult to injury. Look, he stepped out of his comfort zone and he tried, he, he took a shot with the jerseys. For a guy who never takes shots, I give him some credit for That's that. That's the boldest thing he did <laughs> during his time in Philadelphia. So, what is your, we did have someone ask, what, what are our favorite jersey, Sixers jerseys ever? <sighs> ever? Ever. Well, I will say it's definitely not the ones that, like, the late Barkley era, like the very awful 90s the, jerseys. The stars with all the – are those the ones you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Those I would never want them to bring back. I understand bringing Iverson back because so, much, so we have such a connection to that era. I don't – even though I, I liked Barkley, those jerseys were awful. Never bring them back. Um, I like, I like the simple ones. I really like the simple ones. I'm with very you. boring. I, my, honestly, this, I'm so basic for this. I like, I love the ones they wore when they won in 83. Just yeah. the red just yep. says Sixers across the front. Like think all the jerseys now there's the, it's Phila or the red jerseys now people all think it looks like it says suxers instead of sixers right, right. And nobody the, everyone thinks they play like crap in the the red jerseys anyway just bring back the dr j moses malone mo cheeks like what those guys won when they won a title updated a little bit they've already yeah. called back to you know the 70s and the late 60s that era you might as well try to connect yourself to the team that's the last really successful team. If you're not going to bring back the 01 jerseys, bring back 83-ish era. I think yeah. that's a no-brainer to me. And that had a good long run. Like That was from the late 70s to the early 90s. There's a lot of good history there, a lot of good players who played for them. Like If I want to harken back to the Charles Barkley days, that can be included in that era too, not with the awful Stars uh, one. So I think that's probably where I go the most. Uh, outside of that, I will say, like, if I'm talking about, like, the Iverson, I, as much as I give them grief, it's only because I think they're a little overrated. Like, they would probably be in my, if we're talking about, like, the 80s and, like, all the variations, because a lot of them recently, like, sort of looked like the 80s. Um, I don't completely hate the Iverson ones. I just think they're a little overrated. 
I honestly, the ones they've had the last couple of years, I like. I like the simple ones. I like the these simple filler jerseys. Well, and look, the Sixers love to play up their history when it's convenient to them. But I will say they are a franchise that's like it should be really hard to screw up red, white, and blue, right? Yes, and to their credit, recently they have there have been very few like straight up misses, and I just think they should be a franchise that has a very consistent. This is our look. This is our color scheme. This is who we are because they've been around for forever. They're a big part of NBA history. Like I know that they've based their part in NBA history is essentially losing to the Celtics over and over again, which, you know, that blows, but they've been an integral part of most NBA decades. And in the eighties, when it was the Lakers and the Celtics, they were right there and they might have had the single best team period of that entire run. Right. So I think that's the part of their history they really need to hold on to and embrace the most. Yep. Either Phil or Sixers across the front, simple lettering. Just just give me Sixers scene. in bold letters. I don't need yep. crazy cursive script or anything wild. Right. Just plain Jane is cool with me. Yep. Any other quick thoughts here as we try to wrap up? Um, I feel like we're going to have a little more fun topics throughout the rest of the week, maybe a little around the league type stuff. Um, but sort of wrapping up here, Maxi, jerseys, Josh Harris. Yeah, listen, guys, I am really excited for, can't believe I'm saying this, media day next week and training camp. There's all kinds of stuff that'll be, we get to see them practice and we get to talk to these guys about what's going on, what they think about Harden. And until then, it's just, we got a few more days left. We're going to do some, you know, forward-looking predictions. But I am so, so excited to talk to all of you about actual things happening. Yes. Instead of sitting with Derek in the morning, staring at him like, so what the hell are we doing today? <laughs> well, <laughs> Which, and this morning was especially tough because it was pretty early. Um, we are 10 a.m. Like we're getting up at the crack of dawn. The 10 a.m. Our for, crack of dawn. Yeah, yeah, this is my version of waking up at Look, our five jobs, in the morning. Our jobs usually happen from seven to eleven p.m. Like so, 10 a.m. is pretty early. Um, yeah, it will be great just to talk about basketball yeah. and maybe get a resolution to this Dame situation. Get something, you know, find out whether James Harden's going to report in Colorado. Have you know what does the team look like? How do these all these new pieces fit? Is you know, Danny Green's still able to run. Like, it'll be great to have answers to all of these various questions. Uh, and we can, uh, you know, a, a very consequential point in the Sixers history, one that you very eloquently stated, maybe there should be a little more interest in and excitement for. It's coming up pretty quickly. It's coming up pretty quickly. We did. So Alex asked, when does the Dame madness end? I think if it doesn't happen by media day that it's going to drag for a little hmm. bit i think this next i think it happens before the season it might drag into training camp and the preseason but i do feel like there's enough momentum and a lot of that it's hard to really rate because i feel like there's a good chance it's just portland trying to push the situation forward but i do think all parties have some level of interest in getting this resolved before we get too deep into it. But I do agree with you. If you get past maybe next Monday or Tuesday and there is no resolution, then that could slow things down a little bit. Well, because, look, media day will be a circus for the Blazers, right, if Dame is there. And if you're willing to essentially right. live through, through the through circus, the then yeah. they're not going to – Dame's not going to walk out on media day, say something, and the Blazers are then going to be like, oh, we're trading them for pennies on the dollar. Right. Like, so if – the urgency right now is to get it done and avoid any of that happening. If he comes out, and I don't think Dame will do this, I think he'll be about as professional as you would expect yeah. someone who wants out to be. Once he does that, it's like, well, that's done now, and now it's just whoever can come up with the best offer. Yep. And really, I still think, and I said this on our yesterday's show, and we talked about it last Friday, I still think that if Toronto really wants to – push it in that they're in the driver's seat here and that's still that's where I lean but Masai Ujiri loves to drive a hard bargain so you know here would be my advice to Masai if you're somehow listening to this podcast at some point which boy what a what a life decision that would yeah, be that would be interesting Oof. 
instead of trying to overwhelmingly win the trade, just win the trade by getting Dame Lillard. That's all you have to do. That's pretty simple to me. You don't have to pants Joe Cronin and destroy the Blazers as an organization. You can simply trade for Dame Lillard and win the trade. That's all all it's going to take. All right. As we end this podcast with life advice to an NBA executive, thank you, Kyle, for... (laughs) jumping on and we will talk to you tomorrow yeah and everybody if you're still with us hit that subscribe button give us a nice thumbs up on the way out and we will talk to you soon